turn with me in the scripture to Psalm 139. We'll read the entire chapter. It's Psalm 139. O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it altogether. You hem me in behind and before and lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain it. Where shall I go from your spirit? Or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me, and your right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me, and the light about me be night, even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is bright as the day, for darkness is as light with you. For you formed my inward parts, you knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written, every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. How precious to me are your thoughts, O God. How vast is the sum of them. If I would count them, they are more than the sand. I awake, and I am still with you. Oh, that you would slay the wicked, O God. O men of blood, depart from me. They speak against you with malicious intent. Your enemies take your name in vain. Do I not hate those who hate you, O Lord? And do I not loathe those who rise up against you? I hate them with complete hatred. I count them my enemies. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me, and know my thoughts and see if there be any grievous way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. The word of the Lord. And if you would, turn now to the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 7. Pardon me, Matthew, chapter 7. And we'll continue our study in this Sermon on the Mount, as it's popularly known. The last passage we covered uh, included this loosely, uh, Matthew 7 verses 1 through 12, begins with one of the best known verses uh, in America today, judge not that you be not judged, and concludes with probably one of the most common nuggets of wisdom that's present throughout the world in, in different forms, and we'll talk about that just a bit later, but known to us is the golden rule. Uh, do to others as you want them to do to you. So it's, it's an interesting kind of set of bookends, and Jesus basically teaches us that he's asking us, even though we have now 
gotten a glimpse to this new high and noble standard of Jesus, not to become critical condemning sorts of people when we see uh, others around us who just aren't measuring up to what Jesus has taught, but rather to first judge ourselves, be willing to look at ourselves first and ask the hard questions to become the kind of people he wants us to be before uh, we seek to serve others in their becoming the kind of people that Jesus wants them to be. The second section, uh, and again, I think I told you this the last time, that I've not spent as much time in chapter 7 as some of the rest of it, so I'm working hard at it now and uh, finding my way. I previously taught this passage, ask and it shall be given to you, seek and you shall find, knock and it shall be opened to you, as predominantly about prayer, how we approach God. And I'm, I'm probably a bit more reticent about that now, and I'm not sure that that's true in its context. So you'll have to hear me out and uh, critique it going forward, welcome your input. But those three words, ask, seek, knock, become kind of the core of this passage here today. And I think Jesus is saying, the kind of people who are a part of this new kingdom are these beatitude sort of people. The nature of their influence is like salt and light. And then he teaches us how these people relate to the Old Testament. So there's this Old Testament law. He says, but I say to you, and he addresses issues of the heart and invites us to repent of things that are in the heart before they cause social disruption through our sinful actions. And then he teaches us how these new people, these people of God, the people of the kingdom of Christ, how they relate to stuff in the world. You know, it's almost impossible to live without stuff. Most of us don't have that problem. We have too much stuff. And either way, too much stuff, not enough stuff, Jesus says we have a tendency to worry and be anxious about it. And he invites us to see the world in a way that we're not anxious, but rather trusting in the good provisions of God. That one's hard. It's hard for me. In fact, it's most of the stuff's hard. But Jesus invites us into that kind of life. Then he teaches us how we live before God, how to live before this audience of one and not allow people's impression of us to dictate how we behave, but rather to seek to please God first and then to love our neighbor effectively. And to do that in prayer, in the giving of alms. And the third one just slipped away from me. Uh, someone Fasting. So the private disciplines, the more public disciplines, and then our relationship to God. How we live before God instead of before others. And then in the last part of chapter 6 and all of chapter 7, there's a sense in which he takes a snapshot forward and says... If you're going to live wisely, these are some of the pieces that are going to be present for living wisely as citizens of my kingdom under my rule. And of course, he concludes the sermon with that very well-known little story, very catchy story about a wise man and a foolish man. And what distinguishes the wise man from the foolish man, both of them hear what Jesus says. The wise man does it. The wise man obeys what Jesus says. 
And that wisdom brings a sense of permanence and security to that disciple of Jesus. And so, if the goal here in chapter 7 is learning to live wisely, I think it's important for us to consider that in light of this passage or with this passage included in that. So the first item for living wisely is don't be judgmental, critical sorts of people that are condemning folk where they don't measure up. It's not terribly helpful. Rather, do to others as you would have them do to you. And then the passage today has, I think, a counterpart to that judgmental mentality. And we referenced that counterpart a bit in the last sermon, but I think this passage actually teaches us how to approach human relationships wisely, how to live in the world wisely, not as critical and condemning, but rather by asking and seeking out what it is that we need or what we see is needed. Let's read Matthew chapter 7, verses 7 through 12. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks it will be opened. Or which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? And the Luke parallel simply says, how much more will your Father in heaven give his spirit to those who ask him? And what greater gift is there than the very presence of God residing in the human heart? These three words, ask, seek, and knock. Uh, interestingly, in the English language, uh, can be an acrostic for ask, seek, knock, for ask, 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 seek, knock. Uh, and you know, I thought Jesus was a genius until I realized he didn't write in English or didn't speak in English. Uh, so this just happened later. But asking has this kind of increasing persistence and pursuit. And you know you've asked questions in many different ways. You kind of throw it out as a hint and you hope they catch it because you'd be embarrassed to be overt and really just ask. And children do this very well. We had neighbor children uh, down in Stuart Straft who loved my wife's cookies and they would come over to play with our children and they always had cookies which I think the mother decided spoiled their appetite so she informed them they're not allowed to ask for cookies so the next time it's uh, Mrs. Byler we're not allowed to ask for cookies and you know that's that's how we approach our asking sometimes in human relationships. Is that living wisely? Uh, then we go after things with a bit more diligence at times. And we pursue what we want. And sometimes in our pursuit of what we want and think we need, we sin and we, we crush other people. 
But Jesus gives us a model here of human relationships that becomes something very different than judgmental, critical human relationships. And it provides us a way that acknowledges that people really are a diverse lot of folk. There are many, many different perspectives. There are many, many different strengths and weaknesses. And there are people who tend to sin in certain ways and other people who tend to sin in other ways. We're very different. And this morning in the leadership class, we were talking about that. As, as leaders, one of the challenges we face is being able to lead a group of people that have been hurt in a bunch of different ways and yet lead them to a good place uh, together because we tend to be reactive toward things that have hurt us in the past. And so how do we live wisely in human relationships, particularly when there are such obvious weaknesses, such obvious sins, such obvious areas of brokenness in other people's lives that are just so blatantly obvious to us? How do we live in how do we live wisely in those relationships? There's a story told by a man named Alistair McIntyre, and we heard Tim Keller tell it at our elders and deacons retreat. And I'm going to send you a link on this week on Friday to that same video sermon, and you could have a chance to hear Tim Keller tell the story as well. But he quotes Alistair McIntyre. Uh, in his book, After Virtue. That when we see people, we see their behaviors, we also have a certain kind of story that we impose on that situation in order to make sense out of why they do what they do. You see, our own stories we know quite well. So if we're experiencing fear and we're cowering away from someone who is trying to talk to us, we know exactly why we're cowering away. The other person may not have a clue. And it's the story that we impose on the situation that is really an interpretive tool that we use in our human relationships. So McIntyre tells this story. He says, suppose I'm standing out at the bus stop waiting for the bus, and this young man comes running up, stands next to me, and says, the name of the common wild duck is Histrionicus, Histrionicus, Histrionicus. Although the sentence is intelligible, you can understand it, you can make sense out of it. Uh, it's rather absurd. Unless, McIntyre suggests, it's in the context of a story of some sort. But the story that you impose on that statement makes all the difference as to how you're going to respond. So you might first say, oh, this fellow was in the library yesterday and someone came up to him and said, do you know what the name of the common wild duck is? What the, the classification is for it? And he didn't know. And now you look just like that guy. And he says, oh, by the way, the name of the common wild duck is Histrionicus, Histrionicus, Histrionicus. Ka-ching, makes sense. Just happens that you're not the guy, but you're not frightened, you're not alarmed. Or you may impose this story on it and say, this fellow just left his psychiatrist 
This guy's troubled. He has mental problems, and you're absolutely terrified of this fellow standing beside you who's maybe left the psychiatrist, supposed to be back in the hospital, but he's out here wandering around bus stops, and you're trying to find your way back out of the situation. Or you may say, well, here's what's going on. This fellow is a spy. And he thought you were the guy that he's checking in with, and this was the secret code language that he's supposed to use when he's meeting this guy at the bus stop. He's a spy. And the story that you kind of superimpose on that little event makes all the difference in the world is how you're going to respond to it. And the story you impose is likely informed somewhat by your own experiences of the past, maybe by whether you have indigestion or not, maybe by the novel you just read, uh, maybe by the way your dad treated you. But in our human relations, that, that's the kind of things we do to each other. We impose stories. And we have our own stories by which we say, well, if somebody behaves in this or that way, clearly this is the problem. Because I remember when I behaved in that way, that was my issue. And it's, it's that tendency that leads to the judgmental and condemning attitude that Jesus is critiquing in the early passage. And I think he may be offering us an alternative here when he says, ask for what you need. Seek it out. Inquire. Don't judge. Get to know. Seek to understand. Walk in their moccasins for a while. If a mile doesn't do it, try two. And it's not just in the area of condemning or judging. It's, this is a posture for living in human relationships. Uh, many of us have relational needs, things that we long for, things that are rightly ours, things that are right in human relationships. And maybe, maybe it's in marriage, maybe it's in family, maybe it's in church. And we feel hurt over and over because nobody catches on. Nobody says, oh my, you need this, and they offer it to you. Jesus says, don't live in that kind of poverty. Ask. Because those who ask find that things are given to them. They receive. Those who seek find what they're searching for. Those who knock find that doors open up. And notice the progression. There's this escalation of pursuit. There is the inquiry, the asking. There is a searching, a seeking out that probes further. There's a knocking that comes to the door and says, Hey, please, I'm hungry. But notice it begins with asking. And here lies one of our most fundamental human problems. And that is our pride keeps us from asking. Because it implies neediness. It also sometimes 
uh, when we fail to ask, indicates that we don't know our true need. So Jesus says, listen, you're living in a kind of world where it's okay to ask. Where it's okay to ask. And he does this, this play between humans and God. God, we know is good, right? Humans, we know, are evil. And this, this term for evil is not that they're as utterly corrupt and bad as they could be. It's just that when you look at God and you use the word good, you can't use the same word to describe people. They're not good in the way that God is good. The image of God is still present. But he says, listen, even evil men, fathers, when their son comes to them and with a legitimate request of something he truly needs, and he says, Dad, I'm hungry. Would you give me bread to eat? He's not asking for caviar. He's not asking for filet mignon. He's not asking for a Coke. Just give me bread. How many fathers, even fathers who are not believers, even fathers who are selfish, even fathers who are evil, would chuckingly grab a stone and say, hey, there you go, break your teeth. No, fathers don't do that. They say, it's a legitimate request. My son needs food. He needs bread. I have bread. I'm going to give him bread. He wants fish. Okay, kind of the two staples. The little boy carried bread and carried fish to hear Jesus teaching. Jesus broke the bread and passed out the fish. Two staples of life in the Galilean countryside. Dad, I'm hungry. Can I have a fish? Sure, I'll give you a fish. Or does he, with a chuckle and a twinkle in his eye, say, watch this. We're going to give him a snake. No. Even evil dads don't do that. So why aren't you asking for what you need? And th this, this asking versus judging actually plays out in some very interesting ways. Because when we have a legitimate need and we don't have the humility to say, listen, I'm broken here. I don't have what I need. Could you help me? When we don't do that freely in society and in our human relationships, what we do is step back and say, I need this, you have it, and you're not offering it to me, what a jerk you are. Jesus in response says, ask, and it shall be given to you. Seek it out, seek out what you need, and You'll receive it. You'll find it. Knock. Get persistent. Now, of course, this doesn't mean that every time you have a bill come in the mailbox, you go to someone and say, got an electric bill. Got my Comcast bill. Um, I want to go on vacation. I know you've got $100,000 in your checking account. I need uh, $10,000 for a nice cruise in the Caribbean for my wife and I. Scripture has things to say about those sorts of things elsewhere, including if you keep asking and you don't get what you need, f try to figure out if maybe you'd be asking amiss or for the wrong reasons, just so that you have something to consume on your lusts. And James says in his letter, 
Many people who ask and don't receive ask for the wrong reasons because they're actually asking for, the, for selfish purposes. But I want you to consider this. You're walking in a city that's not yours and you meet a person who's homeless and they're asking for money. If you knew that person had been destitute because of health issues, was truly, truly in need, and you had it in your power to help them. And I'm, I'm saying not as a Christian, just as an ordinary, evil human being. How many people legitimately would like to help? How many people? And I, I'm going to say, I'm guessing it's 99%. But you know what gives us reserve? Because so many of these people are crooks. They're scam artists. And we're not, help, we're not really helping by giving them money. We're nurturing a drug habit. We're nurturing an alcoholic problem. We're nurturing all kinds of other forms of brokenness. And so we're, we've gotten skittish. And we rightly and wisely distinguish between helping versus just giving what people say they want and need. But if there's a genuine need, a genuine human need, that someone comes and looks you in the eye and says, I, I really need this. And you ask the questions, you understand their place, you understand their story. Even if you are a greedy, stingy old man, most people will say, I'd like to help. I will help you. Evil people still give to those who ask if there's genuine need. And Jesus is saying, listen, we, don't, we live in the kind of world where people do give. They do offer assistance to those who ask. Be the kind of people that when you have a need, you don't sit back and just judge and gripe and complain and condemn other people for not meeting your needs. Live open-heartedly before the Lord and before your neighbor and say, I need something. Ask and you will receive. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened. And this is actually an entire posture of life that the Old Testament wisdom literature promotes. When Solomon says in his early writings in Proverbs, My son, if you receive my words and treasure up my commandments with you, making your ear attentive to wisdom. Okay, and here's the theme again, wisdom. The theme of wisdom. If you call out for insight, if you raise your voice for understanding, if you seek it like silver and search for it as for hidden treasures, then you will understand the fear of the Lord, find the knowledge of God. Why? Because the Lord gives wisdom. Gives it away. He's generous. And how often have we failed to receive wisdom because we didn't ask? What does an asking for help, asking for wisdom, an inquiring posture of humility toward each other look like? And how might that effectively nurture community? Not just in the church, but in our world. So seek, ask, knock. 
Rather than starting with the other, start with yourself and reach out, asking even about them, seeking to understand them, pressing in a bit in love to know and to care. But then when you are truly in need, understanding that and with humility saying, I could use some help here. Could you give me some wisdom? Could you give me some insight? Could you serve me? Being willing to be known, being willing to receive. And there are these two arguments, we've alluded to them just briefly, for taking this kind of posture in life. Even people who are evil, who are not good like God, give good things to those who ask. And they are reflecting the image of God, a God who generously gives to those who ask. The quest is wisdom. The quest is understanding. You know how parents typically have taglines and after your parents are gone, um, you'll remember my dad used to always say, my mom used to always say, one of my wife's that I'm sure my children will remember years down the road, and I kind of questioned it probably for years. I think she's onto something. She says to the children, uh, people are happy to help if they know what you need. I think that's the essence of this passage. People are happy to help if they know what you need. People are happy to help you if they know what you need. Now, if it's a scam, and if it's a sham story, that gets uncovered pretty quickly. And then what you need might be different than what you're posturing to need. People are still happy to help if you're honest about what you need at that point. If you need forgiveness, you need grace, you need someone to help you restore something that's broken. You're caught, as the Apostle Paul says, caught in transgressions, caught, ensnared by sin. People are happy to help if they know what you need. You stay hidden, stay isolated, too proud to talk about what you need judgmental, critical of others while you've got the big beam in your eye. It's sad. It's disruptive. Creates chaos in the world. Ask. Seek. Knock. So what what is your posture toward life, toward others, toward God? One of humility, one that's free to ask, seek, and knock in your quest for wisdom, understanding, and maturity? Or is it the opposite posture of judging, critiquing, assessing, constantly measuring everyone, and condemning? The first flows from the character of a person that's growing in grace, in the graces of the Beatitudes. The other, from a self-righteous superiority. And the good news of Jesus is this. 
whenever you find yourself in an impoverished place, whenever you discover that you are too proud to ask, Jesus says, congratulations to those who are poor in spirit. Congratulations to the humble, the ones who humble themselves, who grieve over that brokenness, because I, Jesus, and my kingdom are at hand. Seek out the posture that lives to serve others in the way that you yourself love to be served. Do to others the way you long for others to do to you. You long to be known and loved, know and love. Ask, inquire, care, seek out, search, persist even in love to know. This, Jesus says, is the law and the prophets. Love God, love your neighbor. May God help us to grow in living wisely toward each other so that the kingdom of heaven comes increasingly into our lives, into our communities, and into our world. Let's stand together for prayer.